Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. A.W. Tozer once said, Everything God does has purpose and intention behind his design. It's a master design. And every little thing has its proper place and function. We've been in a series that we've entitled uh, The Long Journey Home. We've been looking at how the people of God were taken on a journey by God to discover a land that he promised them, but even more so, probably much deeper than that, was what he was introducing to them about himself that they were discovering that was far deeper and greater than any land that they were on the way to. We've been walking that journey with them, and last week I asked you to take just a brief step back from the point we were at. We had been at the point where uh, Joshua and Caleb and Moses and the crew We're looking at the land of promise and deciding what to do. Uh, We took a step back and looked at something last week about the uh, tabernacle and the holiness of of God. And this week I'm going to ask you to take, again, one minor step back and just look at something that happened before they took that journey towards the land of promise. This was during the time, again, when the people were making the tabernacle, the place where God's very presence would show up and, and God would meet with the people, the place that would eventually in the future become the temple itself. Um, where God would be present with his people. The particular moment I wanted to look at with you today is out of Exodus uh, chapter 31, as God is giving the description of how to build the temple and calling those to participate with him in that. We see this moment. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, I've filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones, precious stones, and in carving wood. He's skilled in all of these things. He's a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I've given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I've commanded you to make, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, and all the furnishings of the tabernacle. This is a moment when God connects with his people and says, you know this most holy place where I'm going to meet with you? I'm going to participate and ask you to participate with me to do this. And I'm going to give you the skill to do it. He calls many people, as we see here, to build everything from the tabernacle itself right down to the very ark that sat in the center of the tabernacle uh, upon which God's very presence would rest. 
And so he calls these people to it, and specifically he calls Bezalel and Aholiab as his assistant to do this. We see kind of a picture here. This is an artist's rendering of what Bezalel might have been doing. That's him in the foreground there with the hammer and the nail and rocking the 70s shirt. I guess that was, I don't know, that's, uh, that's his choice. Um, and, and he is kind of designing there the ark. That is actually the cherubim, the angels that would be on top of the ark of the covenant itself. So he's actually building that, the place where God would come to rest and, and be present with his people. And behind him probably what we see in the background is Aholiab assisting him in that work. He built some amazing crafts that we see here with this. I mean, for, for example, one of the other things in the temple would have been this. This is the menorah, the candle that would be lit in the, in the, in the temple area or in the tabernacle area. It's huge. It's beautiful. It's, it's gold laid in this. A little bit closer up picture, you can kind of see some of the intricate details on that. And then even as we go into a deeper picture closer up, you see those individual candles. Look at the detail that is on each one of those. That's an actual replica that is in Jerusalem today. It sits near the, what's called the uh, western wall uh, of the temple grounds or the, uh, the Kotal wall. And that, look at the detail of the gold and everything that would have been put into that, the hammering and the shaping of that. That is what Bezalel and Aholiab and all the others were doing, gifted by the Spirit of God to do. And as you see all this, you say, well, you know, that sounds great. It's a cool story, but what does that have to do with me? Right? I mean, the, the, the tabernacle and the temple after it, they're not here anymore. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I, myself, if you want to ask me, I, I have a little bit of difficulty making macaroni and cheese. Anybody else out there? So, you know, we're not particularly skilled necessarily in these ways. I'm seeing people point at each other right now, so you, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And so how does this relate? Well, I think sometimes we miss it because we kind of get a wrong diagnosis. We're looking in the wrong direction. Uh, I'm reminded of a story of an individual <clears throat> went to his doctor and said, you know, Doc, I, I, think, I think every bone in my body is broken. I don't know what's going on, but you've got to help me out. I'm hurting everywhere. I mean, when I press here, it hurts. When I, when I press here, it hurts. 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 I don't know what to do. And the doctor grabs his hand, looks at it for a second. He says, you got a broken finger. All right. He <laughs> took a couple people a few seconds longer than others. That's okay. Sometimes we just miss the diagnosis. And we're looking in the wrong thing. You know, every time you see this phrase that we read here, he said, you know, I filled him with the Spirit of God. Do you remember that? Every time we see that phrase in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, written to those who followed Jesus Christ, the ultimate culmination of God's revelation. Every time we see that phrase, it brings the idea of God fitting somebody for a task. He equips them, he prepares them, he enables them, he calls them to do a task that will, task that will glorify him ultimately. Every time we see that phrase. And again, we see it applied to the, the people who followed Jesus as well. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, we see it. All the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, God wants to fill his people with his spirit so that they can do what he's called them to do. And as you see that, just take a, take a moment on your own and look and read the book of Acts later or read the New Testament, and you'll see that every time that phrase comes up and God's talking about being filled with the Spirit, we see things come out of it. As God is going in, we see something coming out of the people. We see how people are filled to pray to God. They're filled to engage his word. They're, they're filled to talk with God in, in a unique way or to sharpen their minds. They're filled to sing and share and encourage one another, and to be encouraged. These are all the things 
that happen. And believe it or not, even though he still, as well as still filling us with his spirit, he also still calls us to build his tabernacle, to build his temple. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4 tells us this. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? He wasn't building a building. That wasn't his ultimate goal. He was building something greater. Anyone who builds on that foundation, that's the foundation of Jesus Christ, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels. Sound familiar? Wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. He's watching us. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And then we get this statement. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. So you have to ask yourself, really, truly, what is the materials God builds with? What is it that he's really looking for? Gold, silver, stones, or does it have something to do with the heart? But guess what? Surprise. Because you are Bezalel. You are Aholiah. He's calling us today and filling us with his spirit to build his temple. And so what I want to share with you in just a little bit of time is a few ways that I believe we can do this today that God has still called us to be master craftsmen and to participate with him in his masterful design. So we look at the materials that he gives. God equipped Bezalel and, and those with him to, with the, with, and filled him with the Spirit and to help him design with gold. Well, what's gold? I would submit to you today that the gold is the word of God. God's word, that word of God is Gold. In fact, there was a scripture that says uh, an apt, a word aptly spoken, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Well, I would tell you that God's word is full with words aptly spoken, rightly spoken at just the right time and in just the right way for us. So it's literally gold. And it's something that we, we need to, to, to get into our, into our souls, into our hearts. In fact, that's interesting to me. We've been talking this whole series about the ark, which is at the center of the tabernacle, center at the worship of God, where God's very presence would come. And, you know, we heard a few weeks back that the ark contained three things. Maybe you remember this if you were paying attention, right? The first thing was Aaron's staff. It was a dead stick that he had used as a staff. Aaron the high priest. But at one point, it budded miraculously and came to life. And that miracle uh, caused that staff to be placed into the ark where, so that the people could remember that, a direct work of God. The other thing that was in there was a jar full of manna. That was the mir miraculous bread God had given them from heaven when they needed food in the wilderness. And they kept a jar of that as a remembrance of what God had provided. That was also in the ark. And the third thing that was in the ark was the Ten Commandments. The very words of God were placed in the ark, directions and, and instruction for how we're to live and honor God in our lives. All three of those things were in the ark. It's interesting, sometime later after the temple is built in the book of 1 Kings, you see that the ark is still there, but we're told that the manna and the staff were no longer in the ark, but the, but the, the Ten Commandments were still there. Now, picture with me, if you will, for a moment. Imagine that you are the temple. You don't have to imagine very long because we just read it. So if you're the temple of God and the ark, which is at the very center of the temple where the, the presence of God literally comes to rest and dwell, what would the center of you be? That would be your heart. The, the, the staff is still 
around. It's still present because Jesus is the branch of David, we're told in Scripture, the one who was dead and came alive again. The manna is still present for us too because Jesus is the living bread of life. But the Word of God is still in the ark. It's in the center, in the ark. The Word of God needs to remain in our hearts. That is what God has called for us to do. Is the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, is it central in our hearts today, still? Because he never meant that to change. I was speaking to a pastor recently who told me, he's in the area, and he said that he surveyed 50 Christians and asked them all for the definition of salvation. What, were their defi- what was their understanding of salvation? And he said he got 50 different answers. Very few agreed, and he realized he had some work cut out. Barna Research, some years ago, uh, did a study on a uh, survey on how many people held a biblical worldview, basically a basic understanding of God, the scriptures, heaven, hell, salvation, the cross, all of that. How many held a biblical worldview? And they found that only 5% of the culture around us holds a biblical worldview. 5%. They re-updated that study recently. It is now 2%. 2% of our culture. So is the word of God in us? Is it changing and shaping us? And this is at a time when it's fairly, at least relatively speaking, easy and accessible for us to do that. There was a time many years ago where, where an emperor by the name of Diocletian was persecuting the church to the standpoint where assemblies of Christians were forbidden. Churches were ordered to be torn down. Four different edicts were issued. This is many centuries ago. Um, each you know, kind of proceeding and growing in their intensity. And one particular edict that he put out ordered the burning of every copy of the Scriptures. This was the first instance, really, in Christian history when the Scriptures themselves were made an object of attack. And the Christians then had to do everything they could to hold on to those, preserve those, guard those, hide them, so that they keep, could keep the Word of God in their lives. And they did, many times to the cost of their own lives. And yet what's interesting is a mere 10 years later, a different emperor came in, into play, and all of a sudden, Christians found themselves in short order in high favor. Things were going well in the, in, in the culture for them. Relatively speaking, things have been going fairly well. We're able to attend church. We're able to read the Word of God. It may not stay that way. We don't know what the future holds. But imagine in a time when we have been able to have access to that that in most cases the Word of God is, a, is, is rendered to a, a coffee coaster on our tables. That's where it lives during the week. C.S. Lewis once said, the best work the devil does is not to put things in to men's minds and hearts, but to keep things out. What are we keeping out of our minds and our hearts? And Eli Weasel once said, it's indifference that kills good. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. Are we indifferent to the Word of God in our lives? I would encourage you to get into the Word and get it into you. It is gold. And it will shape you in the ways that God wants to do as, he, as you participate in his master design. You may have a, a Bible or, or, or ones that work well for you. If you don't, I'd like to offer you something today. We've got this out there in the Welcome Center. For those of you online, send an email if you want one, and we'll, we'll send it to you as long, while supplies last. Okay, But this is just the books of the Bible 
I've had some people here use this, and they really like it. It gives the kind of the whole story of how the New Testament fits together and how it all connects. And then, of course, you can read each of the letters themselves in the New Testament. Grab one on the way out. It's free. We just want you to be able to have the Word of God in your life. So if you feel the need to grab that, fine. If you use your own, that's fine too. But let's get the Word of God into our hearts. That's how we, that's how we design and craft with gold. Bezalel also was equipped to design and craft with silver and bronze. And I would say that silver and bronze are like our work of faith. One particular pastor said one time, it is the primary work of the church is the church at work. That is our That is what we're called to do, to go into action with our faith in various ways. And it's the scripture itself that says, whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord, for it is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. How many of you know when we are at work, we're not serving our boss ultimately? What we do there represents who we represent What we do in the culture and how we engage people and how we talk to people, that is our work. What are we representing? We can represent God in in silver and in bronze, maybe call silver the worship that we offer God. And I'm not just talking about the songs we just sang together. That is worship, and that's a part of expressing ourselves to God. I'm talking about the worship of our lives, the worship of our minds. Are we utilizing our minds today Uh, in a way that is honoring to God. C.S. Lewis once uh, said one time, "We, we don't need more good Christian books. What we need is more Christians who write good books. Good quote, right? What he's saying is we need more people who think Christianly, who are engaging the culture in many different creative ways. One of those simple ways is just how we think and how we talk and how we reason. There's a whole area of what's called critical thinking. I don't mean criticizing people. I mean being able to carefully think through what's being presented, being able to understand if that's rational or reasonable, being able to present an idea that might contrast that, and to do this respectfully and kindly. But that that basic skill set is severely lacking today. We're not seeing it. What are we seeing? We're seeing mob and media rule. We're seeing ridicule. This is what we're seeing. Everybody's kind of ganging up on each other, and whoever can power down the other side, it seems to be the winner. That is not the way we are called to be. God says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And so are we learning how to even think in a good way? That's why we partnered years ago with Detroit Bible Institute. We wanted to offer even classes that people go in and say, learn how to think Christianly so that you can bring a, a... you can bring the hope of Christ in a good way to people. Maybe jump into one of those. We'll have some come up exploring those very subjects. If that doesn't fit for you, there are things online. I don't have time to go into it, but I was just looking at one site that gave the multiple different ways of, of critical thinking and how we, can, how we can bring that to bear. Bottom line is if we aren't thinking for ourselves, somebody will do the thinking for us. Somebody will do the thinking for you if you don't understand how every time you watch a movie, every time you listen to a song, every time you entertain anything, you better be knowing how to think carefully about that or it will do the thinking for you. But we can also do more than that. We can, we can just simply be creative for God. Do you ever think about this? In what ways are you creative for God? There are so many ways that we can do it. There's books, there's movies, there's media. There's, there, there are... There are There are people through history who have done this far greater than I can 
Okay, they've shown Bezalel skill that goes way beyond what most of us can do. For some examples, this is a, a sculpture by Michelangelo called the Pieta. It's a sculpture of Mary holding the body of Jesus as, as, after he was crucified. That was made out of marble. How does an individual carve that out of marble? I mean, the detail on that is incredible. But he offered that in his own way as a creative way to express himself to God. Here's another one. Van Gogh, Starry Night. Anybody know this painting? Pretty popular painting. I think Van Gogh was trying to uh, reach out for some things here. I really appreciate that how he, uh, these darker blue hues kind of, gra- to me, indicate probably a lot of what he was walking through in his life. Somebody who struggles with depression and other things, sadly, but also was reaching for some glimmer of hope. And you see in the, in the, in the uh, bottom of the painting is not only a kind of a subdued town, almost in slumber, but there is a steeple of a church that rises up. As as though he himself was trying to grapple for the hope that God might bring in our circumstances. They were on their own journeys home. And those journeys are filled with ups and they're filled with downs as they are for us. But in what ways are we being creative to try to reach out and express ourselves to God? There's music that we can do. We're going to hear in a little while Jake present a song that came to him that he wanted to creatively express to God. And there are poems and poetry and writings you can journal. I love uh, Robert Frost is one of my favorite poets, and he has a very short poem called A Question that asks this question. A voice said, look me in the stars and tell me truly, men of earth, if all the soul and body scars were not too much to pay for birth. In other words, when life is really tough and you just don't think it's all been worth it and it's so hard, It's almost as if God is asking us a question as we look up to his stars and say, yeah, you've suffered a lot of scars, but was birth worth it? You're here. You were given life. Is there something to be thankful for? Even if that has to be paid for at times. You see, those creative expressions can shape something in our souls. And you can can do the same. There are people here that have, have written skits for children's ministry. There, there are people here that are, are, I see, crocheting inspiring pictures and, 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 and phrases and things. There, there are people here that have come up with creative ways to structure food pantries so when people walk through them, they don't trip on each other. There are so many different ways. Why don't you try one? Even if you just do it for God alone, between you and him, I mean, if, if it comes, if your poem comes out, roses are red, violets are, are blue, it's a pretty good day, God, I love you. That's an original, by the way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, don't, don't fall into the mistake of saying, I'm not Bezalel. I, I just don't have those skills. Remember, who gave you his spirit? Who is the real master craftsman here? It doesn't matter if it sounds like Mozart or Mary had a little lamb if you choose to write a little song to him. It doesn't matter if it sounds like Shakespeare or Shemp from the Three Stooges if you write a little play about God. It doesn't matter if it's the words of Lord Byron or or Barney the Dinosaur. If you offer it to him in faith out of your heart, it matters to God. And it will shape something in you. It's precious uh, silver and, and bronze to him. You know, Billy Graham preached the gospel to millions. The thief on the cross barely heard the gospel in his final moments. God accepted both of them. They were both precious to him. So it doesn't matter what you think your level of skill is. Offer God something. We can also offer not only uh, our work in those ways, but our witness. 
was a preacher some time ago I heard that really made an impact on me. He said, what I say on Sunday, he was speaking on Sunday in that moment, he said, what I say to you right now on Sunday is not nearly as important as how I live Monday to Saturday. I carried that with me. I was on the phone just this last week with um, one of the Macomb County Road Project people. Does anybody have any idea why I might have been on the phone with them? For those of you online, again, if you've never been in the building, all you had to do was drive here recently. You know what I'm talking about. The roads were getting ripped up in front of the church. It was tough at times. There was a few weeks there we couldn't even figure out how to get in the building, right? But I called because they had been as helpful as they could be. Through They had been very responsive. They tried to put out signs. They tried to do other things. They tried to get stuff done as quick as they could. They were very kind on the phone all those times. And then I called when it was done. I said, I just want to thank you. We wanted to thank you for you know, being responsive and, uh, and, and doing what you could. And this is what he said to me. He said, thanks. He said, that's encouraging. And do me a favor. He said, anybody you ever run into, please remind people to be kind when they get held up for a minute. Remind them to be kind to these workers out here when they get held up for a minute. Now, I asked him, I said, are you talking about something that happened here? Right? I just wanted to make sure. And he said, it was all you guys and you trashed them nonstop. No, he said people here were kind. He said, it was no problem here. He said, but I'll tell you what I'm talking about. He said, we've had construction projects going on on I-94 in the area and, and, and out in Lansing. He said, and people there have been yelling at our people, yelling them down, getting upset if they've even got to wait for two seconds. He said, and it's been difficult because on the I-94 project, one of our workers died during the construction. And in Lansing, two of our people were killed by a drunk driver. Do you hear that? What happens if we as Christians, let's just say, we're pulling into a church like this and we're yelling at people because they can't get us in the building in two minutes? What is it we're building? What is it we're crafting in that moment? You see how critically important this is? Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Think about that. How does it feel to know that you are a sculpture, you are a painting, you are a piece of music. You are a poem that God is writing. We are God's masterpiece. And he's created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's our part of him taking this, what he's given to us, and crafting something with him in his masterful design. And we don't do it because we're looking for credit. We don't do it because we're looking, because it's to our ego. Again, who was Bezalel? The one who was truly gifted, was he the one that, that uh, was the master designer? Or was it the Spirit of God? Which one was the real master designer that gave him the craft that he needed? And so we can build in gold. We can, we can build with silver and, and bronze. And, and God equipped Bezalel for work in precious stones and wood. And God is still working that way today. And I want to close with this. We read a quote by A.W. Tozer at the beginning. Everything God does has purpose and intention behind the design. It's a master design. Every little thing has its proper place and function. I don't know about you, but right now that just doesn't feel like it's the way it is. Anybody here identify with me on that? And as we look around and we see all that we're dealing with, our lived experience, it, it doesn't feel for the moment like much of a master design, but 
Perhaps we're just diagnosing things wrong. Perhaps what we think is pain everywhere we don't realize is really, truly, in the whole picture of it all, in the whole grand design, is really nothing more than a broken finger in the moment. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't look for too much comfort here. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. You know, don't, don't, in other words, don't get involved in ego battles. Don't get involved in, in prejudices and ridicules and anger. Don't do that. That's the ways of this world, but it's not our ways. Live an exemplary life among the natives. That means the people of this world there so that your actions will refute those prejudices. Do you see what God wants us to craft? And then they'll be won over, maybe, to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives because that celebration is the master plan, and it's on its way. God said the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. Jesus said you will have trouble it will feel like your whole body's hurting, but rest assured, take heart. I've overcome that world, and the new one is coming. That is the master plan he asks us to press into. Michael Walzer once said, what the Exodus, the long journey home, what the Exodus taught us was this. First, that wherever you live, it's probably Egypt. Second, that there's a better place, a world more attractive, a promised land. And third, that the way to that land is through the wilderness. Can I submit to you that we're in Egypt right now, still? And it, it hurts sometimes. And yet there's a way to a better place. There's a place coming that God is building with precious stones. They're not going to rust. They're not going to decay. They're not going to grow frail and old and dark and dim. That's the world we're on the way to. And in the meantime, he asks us to build carefully and craft what we can with him as that's coming. And as he said, the way to that world is the way through the wilderness. And that's right, because God still builds with wood today. Because the cross stands for all time. And nothing will knock down that master plan. So what do we have to offer? He's called us to do his work, and maybe you don't feel like you're very skilled. Maybe you don't feel very encouraged to do it. Maybe you're hurting all over. Just remember this. He's really not asking for a lot. He's given us a spirit, promised us he would equip us to do this, and really, at the end of the day, you can do this work because there's only one thing he wants from you and me, and it's something that we can all offer him.
righteousness is filthy rags to you. Because you're the prince and I'm the pauper. I don't have that much to offer you. But still. It's yours, it's yours, everything I can bring is yours, it's yours, all yours, everything I can bring is yours, and I'll lay
perhaps you're hurting all over. I would just suggest you bandage up that broken finger and get out there and do something with God. He's ready. He's going to build something masterful. And we can participate in that today. And the last thing I would say is this, as we do it, you know, Bezalel and Aholiab, they were from two different tribes. One was from Judah. The other one was from the tribe of Dan. Those two tribes would later split. But because of this moment, the Spirit of God filled them and they came together to build something with God. We're the church. Led by the Spirit of God, we will build together and we will stay together. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, no matter what we see out there today, no matter what comes of the ways of this world, we are here today to be your church, your temple together, filled with your Spirit to craft something masterful with you. And so, Lord, as we carry forward with the hope of what is to come, help us, God, to use that gold and silver and bronze and to remember that wood that you built with that unites us all, the cross of Jesus Christ. In that and in faith in him, we go forward today. In Jesus' name.